Hello and welcome to Smart and Well, a podcast supporting mental health and well-being for students and early career researchers from all the academic fields. Academia can be challenging and demanding, and if you are here listening to this, you probably know that. There is a strong urge to raise awareness about mental health issues in the academic environment and empower students and researchers to talk about it and support each other. We, the Smart and Well team, are a Berlin-based group of students and researchers in psychology and neuroscience, and we want to talk about mental health in academia and offer practical advice on how to tackle some of the mental burdens that might get in the way on your journey in academia. For that, we will interview carefully selected mental health specialists who will share their expertise and personal experience with you. My name is Paulina, and I will be your host. I'm very excited to introduce you to the topic of our very first episode, which is the mental health crisis in academia. Our guest today is Sandra Naumann, who is a doctoral candidate in psychology at the Humboldt Universität zu Berlin and a psychotherapist in training. Sandra is one of the co-founders of an initiative called Scholar Minds and a co-organizer of the annual online mental health conference. Welcome, Sandra. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. There seems to be more and more information about mental health, including podcasts. So why should we talk about mental health in academia specifically? What's so special about academia? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. First of all, looking at, you know, what's out there in research, um, the numbers are quite shocking. When we look into how our PhD candidates doing, we have very high levels of anxiety and depression, as much as, for example, up to 24% of depression, of uh, prevalences. And um, we also, as Scholar Minds, did a survey to um, check how PhDs here in Berlin are doing. Mm -hmm. And we found out that in like two surveys that we did in the first survey, we had like 50% saying my mental health problems are related to my PhD. And now in the second wave of the survey, we found out that almost 70% say my mental health problems have to do with my PhD. And uh, we also found that when you already have a mental health problems, you are way more vulnerable to develop another one when you are in your PhD. And I think these numbers are so alarming. And what you said about, is it special? What is so special about a PhD? It's, I think, as every other environment, bringing like special things to the table. First of all, you have this unique experience of researching, of doing what you really want to do, and most of all on a self-chosen topic. And that in itself is an amazing chance. On the other hand, this comes with a lot of challenges. Like no one tells you how to approach your research work and no one tells you how many hours you have to spend to be successful. Right. It's this overall idea of you have to be perfect and great. And so it comes with this um, uncertainty and expectations. So how do I have to do things? What do I have to do? I mean, when you start your PhD training, quite often, most of the skills you need, you don't have them yet. I mean, you haven't written a manuscript yet. You haven't 
maybe designed a uh, an experiment, you know, and all of these things are super challenging. Yeah, you constantly have to do things that you have never done before and maybe no one has done before. Yeah, I can totally relate to many of these things. And I guess in recent years also with the COVID pandemic, so uh, it probably didn't make things better, did it? Uh, how the pandemic uh, affected the mental health situation in academia? Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Um, the numbers that I just brought up were all collected during the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, so the situation was bad before. But now with the pandemic, it got even worse because when the pandemic or especially um, the COVID-19 lockdown came to Germany, um, there was a lot of, you know, fast ending of experiments. People couldn't finish their work, um, especially when you were just starting your PhD and you were about to collect maybe your first data points. You couldn't, you couldn't do that. And that means or meant by then just significant delays in your research work. And with that, I mean, now the situation gets better with having those work contracts and being contracted by the university as a PhD. But for example, when you are in the situation that you have a stipend, you didn't know how much longer you could prolong this and if you would have money for like the next year or so. So this also financial instability, being unsure, puts on this pressure of I have to publish constantly. I don't know if I have the money. I don't have the data. So all of this um, yeah, relates to heavy decreases in mental health in our PhDs. Yeah, that all sounds way too familiar, I must say. And I think we are still in the recovery phase uh, from the pandemic, uh, especially mentally, at least I'm for sure. So uh, what are the common challenges that students and early career researchers, ECRs, face during their studies and research? So you mentioned some already, but what are um, the kind of common threats there? You are right. I mean, um, f first of all, it's not that, you know, you enter your PhD um, training or your PhD work and you are suddenly having a mental uh, health problem. That's not how this goes, right? So it's a slow process because when you start um, your PhD, there are so many things you have to do in the beginning. And then you realize, oh, okay, that's a lot of fun for me to do this. But it also means heavy commitment, commitment in a way that you spend a lot of hours yes. and you spend a lot of time and like slowly, slowly you maybe think for yourself and say, ah, maybe I don't need to meet my friends today. Uh, I want to work on my PhD and research work or ah, this family gathering. It's not so important. I want to work on my PhD. I want to focus on my career. And um, slowly, slowly you maybe socially isolate or you're not following your hobbies anymore and this uh, process of like my PhD becomes me so there's no separation anymore between hey I'm having this PhD work and hey I'm also a person I'm having like other things that I want to do in life this like border slowly slowly vanishes and that makes it so dangerous because you are so passionate about your research work but at the same time you are maybe losing touch with what else is there in life. 
yeah, I guess it can happen that your entire identity sort of becomes your work that you do, your research. Exactly. And I mean, wh whatever field we are in, there is really no like tolerance for error. I feel like people suggest to you, especially um, in like hi hierarchical situations, that when you start your PhD, you have to do good work. You seem to be sometimes expected to do perfect work. And that just means you can never, you know, make any errors. And that just creates so much pressure. Uh, and that's also, yeah, contributing to um, the situation that we are in and that there's really not much of a support network and not much of, you know, how can I find help? And especially, I mean, when we talk about international uh, PhDs, for example, when we do those workshops in the Scholar Minds Framework Mental Health Toolkit, where we try to teach about like Mental Health 101 and stuff, we realize that most of the help out there is in German. And that's a big problem because it's not accessible for, you know, PhDs who just came to Germany and their level of German is not sufficient yet to do that. That's actually, I think, a very important uh, aspect of being in academia, uh, this uh, aspect of internationality. So I, for example, myself, I moved two times in my academic life. So I moved for bachelor's to a different country and then for master's and at least for PhD, I stayed in the same place. But I can totally relate to uh, uh, also special challenges of international academics. So as you mentioned, language, for example, but also, I guess, uh, building the social network and maybe, maybe something else as well for international students. So, um, do you have any other, uh, challenges known to you as uh, for international students? That's a really good question. You mentioned language. Um, even, you know, if you then have your first basic knowledge, um, it doesn't mean that suddenly the world of like mental health offers open for you in Germany. I mean, you have to understand what's a psychiatrist, what's a psychotherapist, how do I even get help? I mean, you have to also learn this lingo of help. You have to understand then, oh, if I need medication, how do I get medication? How long will it take me to actually get a psychotherapy? You also have to have so much knowledge about the mental health system in Germany. And especially when I think back on my induction day for my PhD program, yes, there was information on housing. There was information on, I don't know, equal rights, but there was no information on how do I get help? My mental health is affected. And I guess even before going to a professional, so uh, you were mentioning before that uh, it can happen that slowly over time, um, social ties become weaker because uh, you stay longer in the lab or in the office. So I guess as an international student, you also uh, don't have such a strong support network in the place where you just moved. Uh, so that also takes time to build. And also, I think it's easier to lose ties if you get lost in your academic work. Yeah. And if I may um, also add to that, you asked earlier what's a current challenge now also taking into account the COVID-19 situation that we are in. When you came to Germany during the lockdown phases, you barely had a chance to meet your lab members in person. Even now, where we are gradually, you know, coming back to the offices, 
it's not that there is any certainty, right? Sometimes no one is in the lab. How will you, you know, find this close connections that you need so badly in the beginning where you need orientation, where you need mentors, supervisors? That's so difficult. And so instead of coming, you maybe rather stay isolated at home because there is no, and that's so difficult here. So as a PhD student yourself, uh, could you maybe share some hurdles in academia that you had to face personally, or maybe you witnessed it happening and how you or those close to you uh, dealt with it? It's interesting when you just said PhD student, like I had something else in mind, but maybe I can uh, first go to this point of like this constant feeling of still being a student and not being visible as um, a scientist. And I think as an employee of a university, for example, and I think for the longest time of my PhD, I referred to myself also as a student and that made a lot with my self-worth. Also how I introduced uh, my position to my family or to someone else, they would be like, I don't know, you are 30 now and you're still a student. What does that do with your self-efficacy in the end? So this is like one point of like not saying, hey, I'm doing a PhD, but foremost, I'm actually a scientist and I'm doing scientific work and like I am working. I am, of course, I'm also learning, but I'm not a student anymore. And I think looking back, if I would have had more confidence saying that, I think I would have also felt at times better about my PhD. And I think a second thing, I'm a very impatient person. So things for me have to be fast and good. <laughs> and um, if you look into a PhD period where in Germany, um, typical PhD duration is 4.7 years, uh, that's a very long period. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely longer than the regular funding periods. Exactly, exactly. So I was in this constant sprinting mode. I always thought like, okay, my PhD is my baby, so I can just be as fast because it's all dependent on me. And if I like work every weekend, that also means I get to be done faster. But obviously, that's not the truth because... A lot of things in the PhD are not up to you. Like you are not controlling how fast peer reviews will go or how fast your supervisor will reply to an email. There are so many things in science or in academia that you cannot control for. And it's not very recommendable to see the PhD as a sprint. It's a marathon. You will win the race slow and steady in this PhD, uh, but The other way around, running all the time, and that's something my body also paid tribute to, is at some point saying, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot run at this pace further and further. Um, so that I think this was my big, biggest learning to really say, okay, I, I will have weekends because, you know, I, I work at a university and at any other place I would work at, there would also be a weekend. <laughs> so I deserve a weekend. I deserve breaks and... All of this actually made me a better researcher, a better scientist, because being focused on my work was way easier when I took the breaks I needed. And this was a very important learning uh, in this process, which I don't think we all have to go through to realize it's a good idea. It's something that 
we should enforce from the beginning and say, take your breaks, go on vacation, enjoy your weekends, because this is also essential to a well-lived PhD experience. Yeah, I must say that I made the same mistake. I was also first working on the weekends, collecting data on the weekends, because I thought I need to be done sooner or my experiment takes longer. So I actually need to somehow compensate for this by working longer. But uh, yeah, it was not sustainable in the long run, for sure. So hopefully others won't have to miss to do these mistakes again. So, so far we've talked about the sort of status quo, how things are right now. Do you have any ideas or suggestions for what we can or should, I guess, given the situation, do to make it better in terms of mental health? I think I'm going to refer to what we as uh, Scholar Minds also aiming to do, because I think there are several levels that are important to address when it comes to improving mental health. And we, as like a smaller organization, can mostly target the individual level. So what we can do is Things like today, raise awareness and say, hey, mental health is important. It's good to talk about it. So fostering the destigmatization of talking about your mental health challenges or like your challenges in general, having this open attitude of it's great to fail. Let's talk about our failures because our failures make us better. Also on the individual level, providing tools on how to manage your time, how to work on your mindset. I mean, all of these things that, for example, like we talk about our PhDs now is because we have so many years of experience in. And we as scholar minds also understand ourselves in this peer-to-peer -peer relationship. We're giving this workshop for our peers and tell them how our experiences were. And um, when it comes to the systemic level so what's happening how can we change something for everyone right because individuals do not suffer in the system because the system is so great the system is is the problem foremost that for a long time there were not many working contracts this situation improves now uh, there were no regulations on vacation on how many hours to work and on this systemic level What we can do is create bigger events and to connect with health insurances, with university players, um, to really create this awareness. I mean, I remember when we started to connect with the health management of the Humboldt uh, University, they realized, oh, we never thought about the PhD uh, candidates. We thought about the students and we thought about the employees. But this category of PhD candidate was not visible in their eyes. End of October, uh, you and your colleagues from the Scholar Minds Initiative organized the second mental health conference. Can you tell us more about it? And, you know, as a busy PhD student, I can imagine that one could think, oh, why should I spend one whole day on a conference, on a mental health conference when I have so much to do? Uh, why you think one should attend it and invest time in this? Okay, I, I will confess that this exact thought has crossed my mind as well when I was applying it. I think, yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. So first of all, what's the conference about? Mm -hmm. um, so this was uh, the second Scholar Minds conference. And the first that we did was actually to connect 
mental health initiatives across Germany for PhD uh, candidates and to, uh, to raise awareness and say, we are all united and we want to change something. And we also offered workshops on, you know, stress management and imposter feelings. So these very common mindset challenges and we provided tools. And this year, actually, we tried to set a different focus. Because as Scholar Minds, we now work together with uh, health insurance as well. They approached us and mm -hmm. said, look, uh, we want to also be in this and uh, support PhD uh, researchers because as the health management of the university, they have struggled addressing this specific group, even though there is so much of a mental health burden on this group. So this year, it was all about providing more information on how to find help uh, in terms of, you know, mental health offers in Germany and to really support PhD candidates in their decision on what can I actually do when I'm not feeling well, as well as, again, giving these very practical workshops on, okay, what can I do right now versus if I need help, uh, where can I go professionally? And we also always include a panel discussion and invite panelists from PI level to PhD level, but also the health insurance and really different parties and discuss how can we scientifically be excellent, but also have a work-life balance, for example, and to really open people's minds on that. And I think what you said with, yeah, why should I even spend this time is uh, so interesting because what we observe is that people quite often come to our workshops when it's already too late when um you know you're already very deep in a depressive episode and you don't know how to make decisions anymore and you don't see a point in what you're doing and you are very very close to saying why am i not abandoning ship right now and leaving this experience because it's so horrible and what this mental health day was and is about is about prevention and information and giving PhDs this like momentum of today is about me. Yeah. Today is about my self-care because we go from the side of, oh, mental health and everybody's like, oh, I don't want to talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. But when we uh, talk about it as self-care, then it's, you know, rephrasing a little bit of this yeah. and giving it more I'm a more positive vibe because no one argues about physical strength and physical training. Everybody is like, yeah, sure. I have to go to the gym regularly to keep a good posture, be fit. And when it comes to mental health, it's exactly the same thing. I mean, you are not becoming healthy from attending one workshop and having one workshop on stress management won't change how you handle stress. It's about this constant effort and trying and exercising. Mm -hmm. And this is what these days are for, is this constant offer of, hey, let's practice again. And yeah. let's practice again and again. And um, unfortunately, and I think I want to raise awareness at this point, unfortunately, we had a lot of registrations for this conference, but then half of the people do not show up. And you realize then, okay, Maybe, you know, it's not 
worth enough yet for them. Maybe they thought exactly what you just said, like, why should I do this? I'm doing fine at the moment. But yeah. it's not about, you know, the good parts and the good situations when all is great. Like, this is basically a preparation for when all is bad and you don't see any way out of the situation anymore. This sounds really like uh, something that everyone has to for sure do at the beginning of their PhD, but then also, as you said, regularly to reflect upon this and remind yourself that this is important to somehow raise the importance in yourself as well. Yeah, it should be um, something that could be enforced by graduate schools to say, okay, like you have to say, you have to take those uh, soft skill courses. Why can't there be this regular um, check-in? This would also work sort of like a risk management. So given all the numbers that you mentioned, so we know the situation, we know that quite large proportion of students will face these problems. So why not try to maybe prepare them for the PhD or maybe to actually try to prevent these numbers? Exactly. You know, if you think about it, when you start your career in any kind of job that you do, there will be one meeting that you have on like uh, work health. Is your mm -hmm. chair in the right position? Do you have a, like a, um, a table that fits you? Why don't we have this without questioning for, hey, do we experience sad episodes? Like what can we do? Let's find out your resources mm -hmm. and always providing someone where you can go and like talk about these things, which then can be prevented and people don't have to go into deep depressive episodes, mm -hmm. for example, or panic attacks or, you know, all of these things that are very, very unpleasant and keep you from working for a very, very long time. Totally. I remember when I was starting my internship during my master's at the Charité University Clinic, I had to attend one of those um, work doctors or how it's called, um, occupational uh, physicians and fill in the questionnaire of potential risks. And of course, there was not a single question about mental health. But if we agree that mental health is health, I guess it should be also included. So um, you mentioned that uh, you uh, do many cool things with scholar minds. So maybe you can talk a bit more so where you can find more information about this and what you do with your events. Yeah, so as I said, scholar minds is a PhD initiative, which means We are all, well, we are PhDs, but we are also postdocs. So I want to say we have grown from being only PhDs to early career researchers. And we are doing events uh, such as, as I said, the mental health conference, uh, PhD toolkits where we give workshops on skills. We also do growing up in science. It's a series that comes up every month. And here we invite uh, PIs and let them talk about their way to becoming a PI. Mm. And they're especially, you know, pronouncing on or highlighting what were their difficulties. Did they fail on the way mm. to normalize this experience of it's not that you go into, you know, academia and everything is great. I mean, the people on top, they also faced a lot of failures. When you read their Official CVs, it looks also smooth and nice, but there's also this idea of uh, 
CVs of failures. Uh, so where people say actually things that didn't work out. So I think that's very important to talk about this as well. Exactly. And this is where we took the idea from to actually do this series. And this is once a month. And then we also do the survey. Uh, we try to do it regularly every year or every second year to really assess how yeah, PhDs, especially here in Berlin, are doing regarding their mental health. And when you want to yeah, learn more about us, we have a homepage where you can find us. You, I think you, you can just Google us or it's like scholar-minds.net. This mm -hmm. is where you can find us. We are also on Twitter and... Um, I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, this is how you can find us. Uh, you can also shoot us an email. You will find the email address then on the, um, on the homepage. And we are also always looking for new members, uh, because PhD phase is a transient phase. So it's not that, you know, everybody's there forever. People, uh, finish their PhDs. And then obviously we always need new members. Thank you, Sandra, for talking to us today. I hope we managed to convince everyone that we should keep talking about mental health in academia. We are reaching towards the end of our conversation. And before we finish, I have one more question for you. What would be one piece of advice that you would give today to someone struggling with their mental health right now? The advice that I would give is to communicate, to talk to others, be it a colleague, be it if, you know, you're brave enough, talk to your PI and talk about it openly and say, hey, I'm not doing well at the moment, which doesn't mean, you know, I want to abandon my PhD, but I need help. How can I get help? How can you help me? And in the best case, either colleagues or PIs can help and um, provide this, you know, blanket of support and say, it's okay. Right now you're not feeling well. Let's get you the help you need. And you have all the liberty then to decide if this PhD path is for you mm -hmm. or if you want to do something else. But really being in this, you know, open conversation about it and, um, you know, having this constant really like phrase in yourself saying it's okay we all struggle from time to time you are never alone with your struggle and the moment you open up you will realize that there are other people out there who faced exactly the same thing and can potentially help you thank you for your advice sandra thanks again thank you so much i think the work that you're doing here is great As we are approaching the end of this episode, I would like to thank you for listening and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. Make sure that you check the show notes to find the mentioned links and other details and also the transcript on smartandwell.buzzsprout.com. In the next episode, we will talk about stress management with an expert in mindfulness-based stress reduction. He will conduct a live mindfulness exercise you don't want to miss, so stay tuned. Subscribe to Smart and Wild podcast on your preferred podcast app and feel free to share it with your friends or colleagues who might benefit from this podcast. I will talk to you again soon. Take care, be smart and stay well.